my view is you should stick to your principles. And it's certainly something I've always tried to do, regardless of the prevailing uh, narrative, political narrative. Uh, at the end of the day, right is right and wrong is wrong. And um, or you've got to be flexible, of course, in a senior leadership position. And you've got to understand politics and how to work with politicians. But equally, if something is blatantly immoral, illegal or, or just wrong, you, you can't just ignore that. Welcome to Perspectives from the Top. I'm Chris Roebuck, global keynote speaker with unique leadership experience from military, business and government, best-selling author and your guide to greater success. Together, we'll discover powerful insights from the world's leading thinkers, doers and trailblazers, the must-know trends, thought-provoking revelations and practical actions you can use immediately. This is your exclusive and personal shop of insight and inspiration to help you get to the top. Welcome to you and all of our friends in the Perspectives from the Top community around the world. Today, I'm talking to someone whose work has been across three continents, making sure key global cities run smoothly. He started in London on the underground. Now, that's British for subway, if you're confused. Then in Sydney, he was COO of the New South Wales State Railways. On to Toronto, where he headed the mass transit for the city. Then moved south to lead New York's MTA. And finally, back across to London, where he runs everything from underground buses, riverboats, cycleways and more, delivering five million journeys a day to Londoners, all of which he hopes are totally forgettable. It's my great pleasure to welcome on behalf of all of our perspectives from the top community, Andy Byford, Transport Commissioner for London. Andy, it's absolutely marvellous to have you on uh, Perspectives from the Top. One of the things that our listeners like to hear about is something in your career where a, a boss that you've had has inspired you, because we've found that everyone that's come on the show, somewhere has been this amazing boss that's made a real difference to their career. Uh, have you had one of those and, and what did they do? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I'm, I'd like to say I'm very, I've been very blessed, really. I'm very lucky in my career to have had a lot of good bosses. I mean, my governor down in Sydney in Australia, uh, Rob Mason, was a fabulous uh, boss to me. Um, uh, funny enough, uh, uh, our old boss, uh, Charles Horton, I thought was uh, was an excellent boss at LUL. But the person I would cite would be um, someone who's actually been my boss three times, uh, a, a guy called Mike Brown. Um, and he was also my predecessor here at Transport for London. He was the uh, third commissioner. I'm the fourth. Um, and Mike was my, let me try and get this right. He was my general manager, my uh, so he was my business manager, my general manager, and my director. So on three occasions, uh, he was my boss. Um, and I think what I really uh, respected about him in particular was um, I think our, our philosophies were very similar in that uh, he really believed in walking the floor, going out to, to meet the um, to meet frontline colleagues, to spend time with frontline colleagues. Um, but also, he, he took a chance on me. I was a fairly young uh, graduate trainee who'd um, uh, been a duty station manager, but I had also had a very difficult job, job to do at the Tube, which um, was, really was challenging and, and kind of made me unpopular with a lot of the managers because it involved deploying a force uh, to a force of um, workers who uh, covered for their colleagues while they were undergoing training. And it was highly contentious. Um, and everyone um, sort of moaned about this team that I had to deploy. But Mike saw in me uh, a, a potential. 
and he gave me my first big um, opportunity, which was to be the group station manager at Harrow on the Hill. And and I guess in many ways I never looked back. So it's certainly someone. He's certainly someone that's inspired me and and, and informed and uh, uh, influenced the way that I work. Uh, in that I constantly now look to give back. I constantly look out for talent, uh, and I try to give people opportunities in the same way that Mike did to me. Uh, did for me all those years ago. That, that's really interesting. I need I need to admit to listeners uh, today that actually I also work for London Underground for a short time many years ago when it was being part privatised at the behest of the uh, of the British government and. I actually worked with Mike Brown, so I know the guy that Andy is talking about. Um, and I work with him in a number of capacities, and I can absolutely concur that he had that quite unassuming leadership quality that actually uh, sort of inspired people, even though it was quite an unassuming. Yeah, and Chris, if I might just add to that, he he could talk to, and he still can. He, he's um, he's off doing another job now. He talked to, he's able to talk to people at all levels. Uh, so, and I think that is a management skill or a leadership skill. Really, you can't really teach that. You just can or you can't. Uh, but that certainly um, resonated with me. And he also was forgiving of mistakes. You know, we all make mistakes. Um, and although he expected you to learn from those, I remember once having a pretty horrendous experience actually uh, trying to negotiate some industrial change at one of our depots and uh, it really was quite grueling and I think he saw the impact that it had on me uh, when I came back somewhat shell-shocked um, from uh, the, the, the way things had gone and um, he was so good about it you know we, we, we didn't get the result we wanted although we ultimately did uh, we just had to take a, a bit more time to do it but I remember him um, giving me a bottle of champagne and saying well well done because <laughs> you're so, you, you know you've got us further than we've ever been so um, he's just a thoroughly decent person and and he and I share a real um, philosophy in terms of not just how you should manage, but how you should behave and role model as a leader. That's really interesting because the, the next question I was going to ask was about what, what are the consistent behaviours that you have seen in good leaders uh, across your career that have actually got the best out of people to deliver success? And, and you've already alluded to one of those in the case of Mike Brown, which is the ability to go from the boardroom to the equivalent in mass transit of the shop floor, which is on the station or in the driver's cab to talk to people at the front line. So, so there's, there's that. But, but have there, are there other sort of consistent behaviours you have seen successful leaders using with people? Sure. I, I think you've got to be a good role model. And um, I mentioned Rob Mason, my governor down in uh, Sydney for New South Wales for RailCorp. Uh, and Rob already instilled into his management team the importance of being a good role model. And even as something is um, apparently uh, banal, although it isn't, but apparently banal and simple as not walking across the road when the red man uh, or red person light is showing. Um, you know, he, if he caught you doing that outside the HQ of uh, Rail Corp, uh, he would give you a big telling off because he would wait for the traffic lights to change. And, and anyone who's lived in Sydney knows the traffic lights can take a while to change as um, they go through myriad cycles. Uh, but that the, the, obviously the key point was uh, safety, but it was also role modeling safety. You know, if the governor 
um, doesn't think personal safety is uh, serious, well, what message are you sending? So again, um, I, I tried to do that. I mean, we, we have a, 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 a crossing right outside the uh, TFL HQ, and I quite often am um, the only person who remains on the pavement. You know, I tried to encourage others to do it. But there's other things. I mean, in New York City, I caused a bit of a stir because uh, and I did the same in Toronto, and it wasn't it wasn't a photo op. I didn't know if people were watching or not. I used to pick up garbage, and the reason I did that was because um, I don't believe a good leader walks past a suboptimal condition. Uh, you know, uh, you, you shouldn't ignore something that's either um, dangerous and or wrong. You should do something about it. Uh, I also don't. I'm not a particularly hierarchical person. I'm not. I'm not one of those managers who would be like, uh, "Cleaner, come and pick this up." I, I, I'm no different to the cleaner. I can pick stuff up. I'm not out to take their jobs. I'm not out to cause a demarcation dispute. But absolutely, if I see a tin can rolling around that might fall onto the track and cause an electrical short, or if I see um, broken glass, or if I see something that someone might slip on, I'm not going to ignore that. I will deal with it. So I think role modeling is really important. I think that... Um, uh, taking an interest in your colleagues is important. You know, uh, oh, here's another little anecdote for you. Uh, I have a thing about signing long service certificates. I'm sure lots of your listeners in leadership positions do. What marks a couple of my jobs out has been the the, the scale of that challenge because I remember at, in Toronto, um, I was presented with some t certificates and uh, I was told, um, just here they are, just for info, and we've uh, we've already put the auto signature on. No way. Give me them again. I'm going to personally sign them. If you can be bothered to do 25 years, I can be bothered to sign them. So I took that practice to New York City. Um, uh, at Transit, I had uh, 50,000 employees, 50,000 colleagues. And um, I remember saying, oh, I'm going to be signing. Everyone who's done 25 years or more, uh, I want to personally sign those certificates. And my support team said, are you sure you want to do that? That's a lot of certificates. I did it. I used to take home a stack that big every week, and I would sit and work my way through them. Ditto. I find out someone has done 40 years. I found out someone the other day who's done 55 years at TFL. Wow. I phone them on their anniversary or more likely I turn up and this guy done 55. I turned up. Uh, he was a bit taken aback and I knew him <laughs> from my former tenure here at, uh, at London Underground. But you make the extra effort. I go to people's leaving dues, not to uh, sit and get drunk with the lads. That's not good leadership. You know, at the end of the day, there's got to be a respect for the office, but I'll have a uh, pint with them. I'll shake their hands and I'll say, thank you very much. I really appreciate your service. And, and you know what? Um, quite often, I'm really tired. The last thing I need is an event in the evening. But uh, you walk away thinking, I'm so glad I did that because you can see that that person really appreciated the fact that the boss bothered to turn up. It's it's uh, uh, amazing to think that just little things make such a real difference. I uh, did an interview with Paul Palmer when he was chief executive of Unilever. And every Friday he would send five handwritten notes out to an employee somewhere in Unilever to thank them for what they'd done. And he said exactly the same. The impact on one, the individual, but also the impact on the colleagues of the individual that people like you and Paul show an interest in. Is, is is unbelievable. That leads into the sort of world that that you're in, which a lot of people I think uh, don't really understand because they don't see behind the scenes. So. In the mass transit world, and at the moment you're leading London with five million passenger journeys a day, 
you have to put through a massive volume of people in a short time in a safety critical environment. What are the sort of challenges that that gives to frontline leaders with just that volume? Uh, sort of perhaps that people who don't know behind the scenes in mass transit perhaps don't even realize. A very good question, uh, Chris. And you know what? One of the things um, that I'm most proud of in my career is that I was a frontline member of staff. I, my career started, I was a station foreman. I, I was a station foreman at Regent's Park. So I wore a pretty scratchy, ill-fitting uniform uh, and worked shift, shifts around the clock. So I did nights, early turns and lates. Uh, and, and that taught me how lonely that job can be, actually, because, you know, on occasions, um, you are you, you're the person who has to deal with the angry crowd and yet at that level you're the person least able to maybe um deliver what it is that person wants you're, you're not particularly empowered um it, you know it wasn't your decision that led to a suboptimal condition you maybe have only just found out about an incident same time as them i clearly remember that happening to me at uh, regent's park so you have to be able to think quickly uh you have to do the right thing uh try to you know placate and placate an angry crowd and and hopefully meet customer needs and so i think what that teaches you uh, if you're then in a senior position is um i always remember and remind myself, I think, what would I have done if I was that person on the spot? I, I, I love that quote by um, Teddy Roosevelt, uh, the man in the arena. And, and the, the whole purpose of that or, or the reason or the, the, the essence of that quote is it's easy to be an armchair critic. But unless you've been in the arena and unless you've had the sweat and blood on you, you don't know what it's like to be there. So um, I always say to people, it's, it's actually very good to get frontline experience first, because what you don't know is, is uh, how, um, how immediate a lot of uh, issues that transit professionals have to um, resolve are. Uh, you, things just suddenly happen. You can go from a perfectly good service to degraded or even an emergency situation very quickly. So um, one of my personal rules is um, to always think if something happens, uh, uh, that uh, I think, well, they as long as that person on the spot took the right decision with the right information that they had at the time and they put safety and customer service first, even if it pro is proven subsequently with the benefit of hindsight to be the wrong person, uh, sorry, the wrong decision. I back them to the hilt because uh, I know what it's like to have that suboptimal uh, uh, corpus of uh, knowledge to hand at that very moment. Um, and it really annoys me where people are uh, unduly critical after the event. Well, you weren't there on the spot with, with what that person had to do there and then in, 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 under pressure and in extremis. Um, so I think it's really important that, um, that we remember what frontline colleagues have to do. Uh, it is a tough gig. Uh, I think management, tech, uh, sorry, societal expectations are increasing almost by the day. Everyone's got phones now. When I was a foreman, stuff happened, right? No one knew. No one saw. You know, you might have some sort of mess up and you're like, oh, oh thank goodness no one noticed that. You know, I got away with it. You don't anymore. Everyone's got um, cell phones and everyone's got Twitter and um, and Facebook and whatever. But immediate, the immediacy of an issue becoming known uh, makes that um, challenge of being able to provide a capable, competent response all the more challenging. So hats off to my colleagues on the front line. I really respect what they do. Your, your point about the high insight and senior leaders judging the actions of people on the front line is unbeknown to you strangely 
there is also specific guidance to senior officers in the British Army about what happens when junior officers make decisions that says exactly what you have said, which is if, even if it goes wrong, if at that point in time, the decision by that individual, bearing in mind the circumstances and their experience and knowledge, was made with the best intentions, then you cannot hold them to it. So, so if you, you know, it's, it's not, it, the power of that leadership decision uh, from the point of view of the senior leader to understand the frontline thought process is is absolutely critical. Well, what can I just say, Chris, and I'm glad to hear that, and it's I did not know that about the military, but to me, it's just basic common sense, because to do the opposite, to, to, to then castigate someone for what they should have done with the benefit of hindsight, and, you know, obviously, unless they were cavalier in terms of safety or reckless, or, you know, they, they were, uh, they'd show blatant disregard for the, for the customer. Um, if you subsequently castigate someone, you will paralyze uh, front line decision making people exactly just, people just um freeze up or they'll just they'll just not make a decision because they're afraid of the consequences exactly and, and that is also mentioned in that military guidance as, as well if you castigate people for a genuine mistake they will not be prepared to risk in the future so linking into the things that we've alluded to around public service and and the ethos in public service i mean many of many of our listeners will be coming from bottom line focused hard-nosed commercial organizations within public service it's it's more about you know the public good uh, an ethos of uh, that ethos of service not public ga- uh, sorry personal gain how do you at the top get that ethos to sort of cascade to inspire everybody uh, you know i suppose it's about creating belief in what we do then very much so. I mean, whenever wherever I go, and I've headed up three major organisations in Australia. I was the number two, the COO. Uh, but I've since headed up the Toronto Transit Commission. I've headed up New York City Transit, and now TfL. I always um, there's a lot of management. Uh, sorry, there's a lot of psychology in management. I, I I think a lot about the job. I think a lot about um, what makes people tick. You know, I try to get into the psyche of um, my workforce and and my colleagues, and I and even on a one to one basis. You know how. There's, how is that person likely to react? So, so one thing I always try and do is create a real uh, team spirit. And, and I've made a bit of a niche for myself of going into um, troubled organizations, um, be they um, organizations such as the TTC, which at, uh, when I joined was having real problems with um, perception and customer service. It was somewhat on, you know, it was um, it was really uh, having difficulties in terms of PR. Uh, New York City Transit, which was just coming out of or in the midst still in many ways of the so-called summer of um uh, discontent, I think they called it, summer discontent, where there have been all sorts of operational incidents. And now here at TfL, where we are on the emergence, finally, from the horrors and nightmares of COVID. Um, so in all cases, I've really felt a need to rally the organization to um, to, to provide uh, a solid hand on the tiller, to uh, engender pride in the organization and to talk it up and stick up for it and, and uh, show that, uh, that the leader is absolutely... Um, um, uh, believes in the future and, and, and isn't panicking, even if inside you're really worried about something, you don't let that show. 
So in all three of those examples, I really set out with my management team. It's not just yourself, uh, but to build um, uh, to build a, a real strong vision for the organization that people can rally around, that people understand that it's meaningful. It's not some management mantra. It's not some word salad, uh, but that people really feel, um, yeah, I can resonate with them, that, resonate with that, that, that means something to me. So um, uh, in a public organization, that is harder precisely because in some ways you can't be as dynamic as uh, the pro- uh, private sector, although in, in, in terms of dealing with incidents, you have to be. Um, but also because you are recipients of public funding, so you can't just throw money at a problem because generally that's not the, um, that's not the solution or it's not a, a viable solution. It's not an option. Uh, and, and quite often you're also dealing with very old infrastructure. Um, so for all those reasons, uh, it, is a, it sounds like a cliche, it's not meant to be. Your best asset is your people, because if you can galvanize and rally the organization around a common objective um, and have everyone going, yeah, I want that too, uh, then that is a very powerful uh, force indeed. And um, so in all three cases, we've really tried to, uh, to uh, lift the spirit of the organization and remind everyone of what a great job we do. Final point on this. Uh, I feel very strongly about this because if the leader is demonstrating a sort of defeatist attitude or is talking down the organization or even criticizing their own organization, and some people do, um, what message does that send to the troops? I never let my organization get unfairly maligned. Um, I stick my head above the parapet for that. And, and on occasions, it, it's kind of got me into trouble because um, I think leaders must have strong principles, must have a strong moral compass. And if someone comes out, uh, even a senior politician, and, and wrongly bad mouths my colleagues or the workforce or the, the organization, um, you know, obviously, you know, people are entitled to their opinions. But if it is blatantly unfair, I will not sit silently because otherwise, what message does that send to the organization? It has a crushing impact upon morale. And I personally won't stand for that. It's uh, the one of the things I've done over the years is I've asked audiences where I've spoken, um, what were the things that your best boss did every day that made them special? And I've done that around the world for maybe 20,000 leaders, all sorts of sectors, all sorts of cultures. One of the ones that always comes out is that my leader backed me up when required. And that is exactly the point you're making, that, that, that you're backed up by your boss, by your chief executive uh, in, in whatever context. And, and it's, it's really interesting, you know, your, your comment about the, the, the ethos that people have within the organizations you're working for. One of the things I experienced at London Underground was the fact that if there was a problem on the network, people would hear about it and come in on their day off unpaid to try and help to try and help the network through. I'm sure it still happens in, in, in TFL, but, but that, that sort of summarizes the ethos, does it not? It does, and and it does still happen in TFL. And um, you know, there's this Im- there's this impression that we're all somehow sitting around drinking tea, just these lazy public servants getting away with the bare minimum. Nothing could be further from the truth. I think, on the contrary, uh, every organisation I've worked in, in these these big the big three that I've I've led, and um, I have nothing but respect for the uh, for the uh, for my frontline colleagues and and backroom colleagues who 
uh, invariably uh, quite often could go somewhere else for way more money, way more job security and way less hassle, but they don't. They choose to serve the uh, public. That's their ethos. That's certainly what's made me um, now a career public servant of 32 years. I've, I've only ever worked in the public sector apart from a very brief period where the company I was worked for temporarily uh, was um, I was uh, assigned to a private, a private arm of that uh, public entity. But anyway, um, I, 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 it is not unusual for, uh, you know, let's take examples, uh, snowstorm in, in New York, people would go above and beyond to assist in snowstorms and Toronto, both places that subject to very extreme weather, particularly in the winter. And um, people would go above and beyond to, 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 to serve the public. They wouldn't get paid for it quite often, uh, but that is the ethos. And, and to where, you're, where you started, if I may just go back one more time to the, the point about backing people. Uh, again, it's a London Underground example. I, I won't bore you with all the detail, but I remember um, swapping a couple of managers because uh, one uh, one of the guys needed a change, uh, and the other one was I needed his skill set to go in and run a very, very, very difficult train crew depot, and it needed a much more focused and if I'm if I'm um, right, no nonsense. Uh, if I'm accurate or if I'm blunt, a, a no nonsense um, approach uh, to putting a stop to some things going on there that just were not acceptable. So surprise, surprise, that manager attracted uh, all sorts of spurious grievances because people just didn't like the fact they were being performance managed um, and that he was doing the right thing and he was doing exactly what I asked him to do. So sure enough, he became the subject of a um, of a petition to, to get rid of him. And so I was queried about that, quizzed about that uh, by my boss. And I basically made it clear. I put him in there. If he goes, I go. And, it, and I meant that. I absolutely meant that. Um, and that um, was appreciated very much by the manager I'd put in. And, and we stared down the, um, the sort of malevolent forces that were trying in a grotesque manner to get rid of him. Your, your point about the belief in what you do um, actually is, isn't just public sector, I suppose, uh, ethos as well. It's, it's, it's if you believe in what you're doing, whether you're public sector or private sector, because although I have experienced London Underground, I've also experienced the same when I was global head of leadership at UBS, where there was an ethos about we are going to create a brand new type of banking. And people genuinely believed that we were creating something special. So again, gave that extra, gave that extra effort. But you alluded to Toronto, Sydney, London, New York. What I think is interesting is, you know, there's (laughs) there's probably some very different attitudes to how people work day to day in, in, in those, in those environments. Um, You know, can you sort of maybe briefly allude to some of those, But did you draw the conclusion that irrespective of where it was, good leaders still did the same sort of things? Uh, right, so I'll start at the end there. Definitely uh, on the latter, you saw I saw people in all three jurisdictions. Uh, you know, I could say all four: the UK, Australia, Canada, and the US, um, where people uh, people who valued their colleagues and who understood the importance of a team spirit and fairness and principles and, and a moral compass, as I, as I mentioned earlier, and who bothered to get out and interact with their and understand and spend time with their frontline um, colleagues. Uh, they that that is a common trait, and, and I'd say I saw good evidence of that in all four of those jurisdictions. Um, 
Having said that, uh, all four did differ. Uh, you know, New York is a very no-nonsense sort of place. And I have to say, I loved it for that. I really liked the fact that in uh, New York and to a certain extent, I'd say Australia, um, people don't um, mince words. They come out with it. And I much prefer that, actually, because you know where you stand. You're not having this sort of faux um, uh, politeness where you're, you're not. Do you really mean what you're saying? Or are you trying to um, trying to give me a coded message? Here? You know what? I'd rather have out with it. Let's have. If you've got a problem, I'd I'd like to hear it. Um, politics uh, influenced, I think, to a certain extent, the way people behaved. Um, so uh, here is is very intense, but maybe less. Um, Maybe vicious is too strong a word, but uh, blunt uh, as uh, New York City, where uh, the politics can get pretty uh, tough, actually. Um, and I think to a certain extent that influences the way people behave. You know, if you do have very gun, uh, sorry, uh, trigger happy politicians who uh, the first uh, the first hint of, a, of something going the wrong way, they get rid of you, then that will uh, lead to people becoming very um uh, risk averse. Uh, and also, you, you tend to then get leaders who are themselves behaving in a certain way because they, they're so worried about their own um, futures that they they behave in a very sort of uh, militaristic, macho way and stomp, stomp around giving orders uh, and absolutely hammering mistakes because they're, they're always worried about their own tenure. Um, whereas in, in somewhere that's a little more forgiving, uh, you've got a bit more leeway and therefore uh, people tend to behave in a different manner. My view is you should stick to your principles. And it's certainly something I've always tried to do, regardless of the prevailing uh, narrative, political narrative. Uh, at the end of the day, right is right and wrong is wrong. And um, well, you've got to be flexible, of course, in a senior leadership position. And you've got to understand politics and how to work with politicians. But equally, if something is blatantly immoral, illegal or, or just wrong, you, you can't just ignore that. It's interesting. The... Areas that you've worked with, Toronto, Australia, New York, and London, those are all transport systems that have, to some degree, being underfunded for significant periods of time. Um, you will know, but the listeners won't. I recall issues with the central line on the, the London Underground with the signal wiring dating from the 1930s and the whole thing regularly going down because things were catching a light. Now, you know, this was in the early 2000s. So how do you, how do you keep people motivated um, to basically keep things going till the next morning until there is funding coming in um, and allowing staff to keep customers as happy as possible and keep that creaking system running? That must be a massive leadership challenge. It is. And again, I think um, some of that can be addressed by tapping into that Dunkirk spirit to which we referred earlier and, and people's genuine um, vocational approach to the job. You know, the fact that we're in this because we believe in public transport. I used to, as an ops director for Southeastern and for Southern uh, train operating companies, one of the things that used to give me great pleasure was going to Victoria in the morning or in the evening peak for that matter. But say, let's take the morning and you'd see this armada of people coming off the, our train service heading to the tube and you would think yep we did our job this morning we got we moved the masses we got everyone to work even though it's on an ancient uh, uh, this ancient rolling stock and um in spite of uh, creaking infrastructure and, and you've got a certain real uh 
sense of achievement out of that. You know, I always, I'm a huge football fan and, and, you know, no disrespect to the Premiership fans out there. My team was, is and always will be Plymouth Argyle FC. And we've never been in the Premiership. Uh, and I think managers of lower league teams, uh, pound for pound, at the very least match their uh, famous peers, um, you know, in, in charge of these uh, international um, glitterati, you know, the, the, the huge uh, teams, because they have to, to, to motivate uh, on a much smaller budget and they don't have recourse to just buying the, the latest um, fancy player. So a, akin to on a railway, you can't just necessarily, unless you, you work maybe in the Middle East, you, you just don't have the funds to go out and buy the, the latest super duper technology. So um, I, I, I really tap into that Dunkirk spirit. I make a video for the uh, for the troops every two weeks. I go somewhere else on the system to show appreciation for what that mode or, and or group of people does. Uh, so we anchor it around a theme. Uh, and I also update the, uh, the workforce on uh, current issues such as how we're getting on with building Crossrail, the budget, um, but also make a point of saying th- a huge thank you. Um, and then finally, you've got to have a vision and you've got to show that there is a roadmap out of it so uh, we had that in Toronto with a um, five-year vision that culminated in the TTC winning the APTA Transit Outstanding Transit System of the Year award of which we were very proud in New York City with the groundbreaking fast forward plan that we put together and now here at um, TFL we've just launched a, a, a set of a new vision and a set of values that were, were built bottom up not from the top we went out and asked our uh, colleagues what do you want from your tfl over the next five years and so um i think if people understand what the mission is that there is light at the end of the tunnel forgive the pun and that there is um uh, acknowledgement for what they do in the meantime you can uh, you can overcome all those obstacles just a, a note for our non-british listeners the reference to the dunkirk spirit relates to the removal of uh, british forces from the beaches of France in the Second World War, where they had been forced by an overwhelming German advance. And effectively, we were faced with tens of thousands of British soldiers being stuck on a beach, cornered, and the possibility of them all being captured or killed. And in the light of that impending complete disaster, Ships of all types went across the English Channel from warships to freighters, even to pleasure boats to go and pull people off that beach. And it was one of the greatest military evacuations in history. So that that that, that resonates. That resonates absolutely. But but your point about funding, I think, you know, in terms of football teams, it applies to all sports teams at the lower levels who have to make do rather rather than the ones the ones at the top. Uh, just then sort of pulling it together, reflecting, um, reflecting over your career. What do you, what do you think would be, um, so actually, and thinking about your last answer, the, the, the comment about bottom up, it's interesting that when I was in LU, we did exactly the same exercise with focus groups to create a set of vision and values and behaviours for the introduction of the public-private partnership. So this bottom-up approach is absolutely critical. Just to finish off, though, 
over your career, uh, you've seen so many things happen in so many places in the world and you've achieved such success. Well, what would be one thing you would recommend any of our listeners to do? Um, one, I suppose, if they're not a leader, to make them a better colleague at work. And two, what would be something you would recommend every leader to do to make them a better leader? Um, on the latter, uh, I would say never sway from your moral compass. I think, you know, I'm not a parent, but I know I've got beautiful nephews and nieces. And um, it seems to me that, and we always remember when we were kids, right? Uh, if you were a child and you lied about something, then you might get away with it because you, that, but then you might have to lie to cover the lie. And then you lie to cover the lie to cover the lie. And eventually you get caught out. So my strong advice to any um, young leaders out there is, uh, is do what's right. It sounds simple. It's not always easy. In fact, often it's quite hard because you'll come under political or, or other pressure to maybe uh, subjugate your your morals or your principles. Uh, but to me, that's a slippery slope. If you stick to doing the right thing, um, even if it's not the popular thing, you can't really go wrong. Uh, you, you've, you've always put safety first. You've put customers first. You've put um, your colleagues and customers front and center. Then that is a very good um, course to follow. Uh, and um, yeah, yeah, it's certainly something that's always uh, guided me in, in my career. Um, you know, and, and I'm I'm honoured to have had uh, these opportunities that have been given to me. Um, so, so that's certainly how I'd answer the second part. What was the first part, Chris? The first part was was just about how you can be a better colleague, ah, yes. even if you're not a leader. Yeah. So uh, look after your, your 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 colleagues. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, Put yourselves in their shoes uh, because you don't know what someone's going through. You don't know, you know, we've all got uh, skills and, and uh, developmental needs. Uh, so uh, we, the, the collective is so much stronger than the individual. So um, get to know your colleagues, um, help them out, uh, volunteer to do things. Uh, don't wait to be developed. Off, you know, I've always, um, I've always tried to build my own career by uh, not waiting to be given opportunities, but carving out my own opportunities. And sometimes also uh, advice again to, to that front, to those frontline people would be uh, get out of your comfort zone. It's, it, I could still have been at the tube and never have gone on that odyssey around the train operating companies, Australia, Canada, New York. I, had, I, I loved my job at the tube. It was a nice uh, c uh, career. I had uh, reasonable prospects, you know, as long as things went okay with a bit of luck. Um, but sometimes you've got to get outside your comfort zone and really stretch yourself and uh, see, see what else is out there and, and learn and learn by mistake. So um, those are some of the guiding principles for me that I would advocate for others. I link to that. It's really interesting that the research data and case study data shows that if leaders just show they care about their people, it can get them to give up to 25% more effort because it creates a powerful emotional bond. And if colleagues show they care about their colleagues as well, it has the same effect. So it's just simple. Just show you care. Definitely empathy, but it's got to be sincere, right? We've all yes, seen people absolutely. who, where I mean, I remember back in my station foreman days, on occasions, and it was there was very rare occasions. Top brass might emanate from 55 Broadway. You know, occasionally they'd actually come out and about, but it wasn't, really wasn't very often. Um, and um, 
uh, sometimes it was like a royal visit. You know, everything fine, uh, going okay, carry on. And you could have said anything. You could have said, well, no, I'm, I've actually, uh, I'm, I'm really not too good. Actually, I've had a bereavement or whatever. Oh, yep, yeah, jolly good, carry on. You've got to be, you, you, if you're to be empathetic, it's got to be genuine. So stop and talk to people and give them your full attention, even if you're really busy. One thing that, I, that again, guides my moral compass is I will never do to other people what I hate having done to myself. And we've all been there uh, where you are talking to someone and uh, they then see someone more interesting or they just you know, break off and start talking to someone else and you feel like nothing. Uh, I just wouldn't do that to someone. I would say, just hang on a second and, and finish off. Even if I'm, you know, even if there's someone really important wanting to get in, uh, if I'm talking to one of my colleagues, be that a cleaner, a station assistant, for that time, they are the most important person. I think as a leader, you must understand the positive or negative impact you can have on others. If you just walk past one of your colleagues uh, as though they don't exist, that they're just some meaningless drone, uh, that again has a crushing impact upon them. But if you actually bother to divert to say, even if it's really quick, and I do this, you, you, if you come with me through a station, you'll see I follow a rather circuitous route. Um, I would so, uh, divert to quickly nip over and say, oh, hello, hi, I'm Andy Byford, I'm the commissioner. I just wanted to say the place looks immaculate. Thanks so much for what you do. But it's got to be genuine. Uh, and you do, and people quite often think, wow, I can't believe it. The commissioner stopped to talk to me. Um, so know your impact on others, whether you're the commissioner or whether you're a colleague in, a, in a, a junior position. It doesn't matter. It's all about human courtesy and interaction and behaviors. And I agree. As, uh, it's not the reason I do it, but a very nice um, uh, 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 sub-product, if you like, or output is it does make the place more productive and uh, because a happy ship is a, a, an efficient ship. Andy, brilliant. That's superb. Uh, wise words from somebody who's run four mass transit systems across the world, uh, delivering, as we've previously discussed, forgettable journeys. So thank you. Thank you so much. That was really, really good. And the, I, listeners, there are so many lessons in there. I suggest you play this podcast at least twice with a piece of paper handy and note them down because the gems that Andy has given you today are really powerful, simple, actionable things you should go and do within straight away after this podcast. So, Andy, thank you. That was absolutely amazing. It was my pleasure, Chris. Thanks so much for giving me the opportunity. Thank you. Cheers. The beauty of what Andy said was that it was simple, practical, gets the job done and was delivered by a man who is humble, having never forgotten his first steps to where he is now. His respect for everyone at all levels in the organisations he's worked for shines through, no matter if they're on the board or a cleaner on a station. It's a real pity more C-suite leaders aren't like that. But that also reflected the importance of being a visible leader who leads by example. He also mentioned how important it was to do what's right. Now that's not often what happens. Sometimes our values bend to accommodate organizational tolerance of unethical, immoral, or even illegal behavior. But in the end, that always comes back to haunt us in some way. 
So have a think about how you can use some of Andy's ideas to help you get to where you want to be. But don't forget that in a week, I will give you a more in-depth view of the key takeaways from what Andy said, my insights and three ideas for actions in my reflections on the top. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the show notes from today's episodes at perspectivesfromthetop.com, where you can not only enjoy additional resources from today's show, but all previous ones. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts so you don't miss any. And if you really enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating and review. Have a question or comment? Let's discuss it. Message me on LinkedIn. Perspectives from the Top is produced in collaboration with Detroit Podcast Studios. So have a successful week, use today's new learnings and actions, and remember, it's onwards and upwards. See you next time on Perspectives from the Top.